0: Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now. And it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up and let's get started. Stephen Kolb and I have traveled in the same circles for years, but until this podcast we had never really had a chance to have a deep dive discussion about life in general and more specifically life in fashion. CEO of the CFDA, Stephen is basically the ringmaster of New York Fashion Week, so it's a bit difficult to pin him down. But what I've always appreciated about him is how level-headed he is. Even in the eye of the fashion tornado, you can count on Steven to be matter-of-fact with his insights, feedback, and suggestions. Over the years, he has been a driving force behind some of the CFDA's most important projects, from the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund and the CFDA Fashion Incubator Program to the CFDA Fashion Awards. Not to mention the many initiatives he, and by extension the CFDA, have supported over the years that shine a light on issues such as better representation, equality and inclusivity within the fashion industry. Just this year, Stephen launched Runway 360 in reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic to create a digital platform for New York fashion designers to show content-rich online presentations of their collections, when social distancing made in-person Fashion Weeks a non-starter. And at the same time, he flipped the script on this year's CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund, turning it into a fundraiser called A Common Thread to aid those fashion businesses that have been the most impacted by COVID. In this podcast, Stephen and I talk about where he sees Fashion Weeks headed in the future, how his outsider's perspective has helped him to be an even more effective CEO of the CFDA and what his favorite part of his job is. Also, do listen all the way to the end of this podcast because Stephen's answers to my five generic fashion questions are just fantastic. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I know how busy you are. There's so much going on in the world. So thank you so much.
1: Uh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for asking me.
0: You know, everyone knows you with your work at the CFDA, but I really want to, you know, your name is almost synonymous with the organization, but I actually want to go back a little bit and kind of hear a little bit about more about your career before that, your life before that, and and what led you to working with the CFDA.
1: Sure, well, um, I'm maybe one of the uh, rare people who work in fashion that didn't have that as a career goal at any point when I was younger or a student my uh actually when i was really young i I imagined my fantasy job for some reason when i was really young was to be the press secretary for the president of the united states because i used to like watching him on the news it was a lot of hymns back then Mm -hmm. uh and then i always had an interest in, in theater and acting but i um didn't pursue any of that theater stuff um my parents felt like that wasn't really gonna find me a job but uh i studied communications and uh I'm somewhat of an introvert, so I felt somewhat resistant for corporate America. So I was doing a lot of uh, not-for-profit volunteer work when I was an undergrad, um, which led me to a career uh, working first for the American Cancer Society for many years, and then um, shifting to the Design Industries Foundation fighting AIDS. Uh, was in the late 80s uh, uh, when HIV and AIDS was hitting pretty hard. Working at the American Cancer Society, knowing I had a lot of this experience and seeing all these groups and organizations that were forming, I felt like I could bring that experience. And so I ended up at DIFA. worked there for a long time. Uh, my first uh, connection to the CFDA, uh, I had done a collaborative project, uh, the two organizations. And a friend of mine who was working at MTV. Uh, had told me about a job there uh, for a, a new group that was being formed called the Staying Alive Foundation. And Staying Alive Foundation was based on public programming that MTV International is doing for HIV and AIDS use groups around the world. So I helped start it legally, fundraise, grant program. When I got a phone call to uh, uh, interview for the CFDA job, uh, and I did, I mean, tell the story all the time. It was a group of designers, Diane von Furstenberg, Stan Herman, Jeffrey Banks, among others. Um, I wasn't overly uh, nervous because I was in a job i loved, love. So I wasn't really gunning for something. But uh, I guess my experience in not-for-profit management was what distinguished me from some of the other applicants that had more of a fashion background. Yeah. And so uh, that's how I ended up at, at CFDA. Uh, CFda being a not-for-profit. And what was uh, important to me having done a lot of not-for-profit work my entire career, much of what CFda does is not only the trade organization, uh, industry stuff, but also we have a, a foundation. So I still was able to be involved and get some fulfillment on on philanthropy.
0: Yeah, I was, you know, researching you for this and the CFda for this call and and the number of, Organizations and 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 you know initiatives that you've put into place, uh, you know during your tenure are quite impressive. I, I mean, I know there's the the Fashion Fund, there's the award, there's the Fashion Manufacturing Initiative. You know, you had a focus with the CFDA, you know, health initiative, you know, strategic partners group. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on. It's 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 impressive what you've been able to do. Was that a, a going coming into it? And you're, during your time there, were, the, were those kind of the focuses that you wanted to expand the reach of the CFDA to a certain extent in these to these different areas, or is that just the nature of the beast of the industry and that you needed to adapt as things would move forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the CFDA, which was founded in 1962 um, by a, a very elite group of designers and a very famous publicist named Eleanor Lambert, mm-hmm. uh, who was really responsible for the early days of Fashion Week, which used to be called New York Press Days. The value of being a CFDA member was really just the um, recognition by the industry or by your peers. And much work happened there, really kind of more cultural or cultural and, and art-driven in, in terms of mission. And then over the course of years, they started some scholarships for students, started the CFDA Awards. But I think in, in 2006 when I started, and I started about the same time that uh, the... Our, our chair, Diane von Furstenberg at the time started. So we kind of had a 13 year run together. Mm-hmm. We, we really wanted to look more programmatically. What is the value, one, of being a member of CFDA beyond just the recognition? And what could we do to further industry needs, uh, address industry needs through, through our programs? Many of those that, that you mentioned uh, just before.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's then jump into the now because, you know, we're unquestionably, you know, in the middle of a, a a paradigm shift, you know, across the board in every industry. But in I would say also particularly the, you know, the fashion industry, I'm you know, I'm wondering what your your big concerns are. What's keeping you up at night? I hope nothing is. But what's keeping you up at night as far as like the future of the industry and specifically maybe the American fashion industry? Because I know that McKinsey just came out with a report that predicted that the sector is going to contract like. Thirty percent in general, and then the the more luxury sector like thirty nine percent. So yeah, what's keeping you up at night, basically?
1: We have to remember, American fashion is a network of independent brands. It's it's very different than uh, Paris and, and Europe to some extent in that you've got these big conglomerates and LVMH or caring or Richemont. And these are really small individual brands that that make up the the, the backbone uh, of of American fashion. Yes, there are big brands like Ralph Lauren or, or you know, Michael Kors, which is now Capri with, with Jimmy Choo and Versace, but for the most part, it, it's really independent. And so when you're an independent brand, you're kind of on your own, right? You're kind of uh, your own um, salesperson, uh, particularly when you're, you're starting, you're you know, the production manager, you're the accountant, you're the shipping receiving clerk, and so that is that is a very delicate um, spot to be in as you're growing or maintaining your brand. And so we saw with the uh, early uh, months, March, April, many, many brands hit very hard because they weren't prepared mm-hmm. for um, something that none of us really could expect. Not like there's a lot of cash reserve in the bank, um, there's not a lot of ability to strategically think and plan beyond the next season or the, the next two seasons and so that that was troubling and, and challenging to me that we weren't prepared and I've seen and, and we know brands that have gone out of business not just designers but retailers and others and that was inevitable because um with that kind of vulnerability of being an independent brand there's a lot of kind of smoke and mirror of what's really happening yeah. uh behind the the scene versus what's being presented, right? And so what 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 makes me nervous and concerned as we kind of look to 2021 and finishing out 2020 is what will be the continued hemorrhaging of that, right? The brands that we're able to kind of carry through. What will be the downfall? Now I do think without in naming anyone, I do think there's some positive too because there were probably a lot of brands that didn't need to be in business. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, yeah, and, them like- going, and them going away will certainly give opportunity for others. But I, I just worry about the preparedness and, and the ability to continue to adapt. And uh, look, you know this, fashion changes seasonally so much, yet the structure and the business of the fashion really hasn't changed for decades, right? little bit, um, but we've been very slow in, in adapting the business model of fashion And so um, while there's a lot of talk about change and a lot of that talk kind of turning into action mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, can we really maintain that? And will that change really propel us to, to a, a more innovative and, and future way of thinking?
0: Well, talking about change and innovate, you and your your colleagues at the other four fashion capitals really had to like go outside your comfort zone to go completely digital during the pandemic to kind of keep representing during the fashion weeks. And, you know, the fashion weeks are kind of a tentpole, you know, part or, or project of the CFDA. You know, what do you see? How do you see the evolution of the fashion weeks in the sense that there are some who love that everything was digital or, or live streaming and that, you know, it was very democratic. People who weren't sitting in the front row could get, you know, up close pictures of, you know, pieces or. or designs that they would never be able to see otherwise. and then there's some who love the old way of doing things traveling the world and networking in the front row. there's nothing like that I, I agree with that sentiment. so but what are the pieces that you're going to take away from this experience in terms of the the fashion weeks um, that you want to take forward as we hopefully come out of this pandemic and, and move into the next chapter of, of this story
1: Sure. We did a study many years ago uh, with the Boston Consulting Group, and when we released it on cfday.com, it was the most traffic we had ever gotten at our website at that time. And that was a study that came out of kind of the see now, buy now conversation that everyone was having. And it really looked at what is Fashion Week and what should Fashion Week be. And it was quite, quite important in that anticipated And to see what that study would actually say. And at the end of the study, the main finding was brands should do what are best for brands. And some felt like that that was kind of a cop-out finding, but it's something we've held true to since then. And I think that is the case now as well. The early part of, of, say, the summer um, we talked to every brand that has been that was involved in New York Fashion Week, and, and, and it was clear based on the science and the conversations we were having that it was going to be primarily digital, uh, and it was. And we anticipate that for February as well. Um, and our platform Runway 360, which is an open access, no cost platform, really B two B and about the collections, we had great success with it in September and. And our ability to pull that together very quickly obviously was a response to the pandemic in September and will be in February. But I see September us returning to the live show, but our site and and our counterparts in Europe, what they've developed, these are going to be important tools that are not just going to go away and and be forgotten. They're really going to help propel Fashion Weeks in a new way. We can say that many people think New York is under attendant. We're the first city, we know budgets are difficult, we know time resources are are difficult. So I see New York really having an opportunity to really be more international because of a digital platform like Runway360. And I see the show experience being incredibly important again and probably a lot of emotion too when we really come back to it in September. But thinking back to kind of like the New York press days when our founder Eleanor Lambert had started what was then Fashion Week, I don't think you're gonna see the big extravaganzas. Think about the old Marc Jacobs show versus the new Marc Jacobs show, right? Just the, the ballroom chairs or the chairs in the armory versus big sets. I think we're gonna be more in that direction. And I think we're also going to see uh, maybe more focused crowds of, of, of the people who need to be there for for, for the business of fashion, but the, the, the live will never go away and uh because as you said it's about the front row when i started that's how i met people at fashion week uh and still that's how ideas come to be and, and you can never really replace the the the, the, the movement or, or or the texture uh when, when you're when you're at a live show so i think there'll be this merge of digital and, and live that um will um really modernize and propel fashion weeks which are incredibly important in the industry in in a new way.
0: No, I agree. You know, when I, going to a live show, um, the few that were at Paris Fashion Week, I was really, you know, it was, it was very, um, There was a lot of sentimentality about it because there it's like theater when you're in the same space with other people. There's an energy that occurs at a fashion show that's just not the same, as as I've always said. Um, I am curious because you did mention about starting the fashion month. So, you know, just a quick thought Uh, back in the day when I first started working in fashion, um, you know, New York happened at the end of the fashion month as opposed to the beginning. And I know that things have continually push sooner and sooner and sooner, earlier and earlier, at least I had that same impression I get. Would that ever be an idea is to flip the switch and, and go and go um, back to the ways before Hammett Lang shook everything up. And along those same thoughts, you know, we're seeing also a, a sp- a smattering of designers showing outside the fashion week. This is kind of what you talked to with the, each brand should do what they need to do. And I think that was more in reflection to, you know, being able to get their product actually made in time. So those kind of two thoughts of ways of changing or yeah. thinking about the fashion weeks. So I'm curious to hear yeah. that. Is. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's a good question. When when New York used to be laughed at last it, it was really Helmut Lang who made the decision to go first. And then Calvin Klein, the man uh, followed very quickly. And then when they first went earlier, not all brands followed. But then the next season, you really saw the migration into, into before Europe. I think it was different back then to be able to shift, right? I don't think the size of the fashion weeks, the number of brands was quite as, as large as it is now. And so it's hard for me to comprehend how do you move so much from one date into another and get consensus. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's possible anymore. And, um, and you know, the, the, the main reason Helmut and, and Calvin really drove that was they wanted to be first for production and delivery reasons, but also this, this notion that, you know, American collections when they were after Europe were, were being, were copying Europeans. Right. Um, which never makes sense because by the time the Europe shows happen and American shows happen, that would have been a really quick turnaround. But I I don't see them going um, before Europe. But to your other question and kind of what uh, you mirrored, I said about brands doing doing what's best for them, we've already seen that, right? We saw that with Michael Kors. He showed uh, later, we saw that with Tory Burch. Um, and even this, this past season, we saw some some brands, not even weeks from New York Fashion Week, but a day or two outside because their supply chains were, were, were challenged and they couldn't be ready. That's why this digital platform is so important because the definition of a week can, or, or, or a city's fashion can still be framed um, in a way, right? So Runway360 framed that. Uh, uh, with Michael in October. What we also did is we had um, Joseph Altazar and Tom Brown, two American designers, two CFD members, both who have shown in Paris. So they were part of Paris and the Paris platform, but they were also part of the American platform. So there's a little bit more kind of a kind of gray area where people can be in different dates, different cities, uh, still have their physical presence, right? But but take advantage uh, of that digital and and, and for us, you know, I think it's important to define seasons by a week or, or or a platform because it speaks very much about the the you know the trend, the energy, the culture of that city and of that that industry. And and so I think that's the advantage of of these new digital platforms. They're going to help help do that.
0: Do you think you know we're talking about everybody's wearing sweatpants now and has their Zoom tops you know, when we're talking about consumption in the future, I feel like there's also a, a shift in mentality about what we buy and how we buy and, and more of a, you know, different kind of commitments that are, are going into our purchases in a way I don't think was the, maybe the case, or maybe it was slowly growing. And now it just kind of exponentially, you know, grew because of the pandemic. Do you think that the way we shop and, and the way consumers consume will change um, radically once we come out the other side of this?
1: I think it'll change enough. I, I you know, I always steal this from our current chairman, Tom Ford. Um, you know, fashion's a pendulum, right? It swings from one side to the other side very fast. So while like we are in sweatpants and in more casual clothes, when we come out of this, we're gonna want to dress up again. And when we start to go places, we're gonna have a need to dress up again. He talks about or, or uses the example of the Spanish flu, what which was 1918, 19. 19 and you had the roaring 20s right after that. And that was a very cultural moment, right? When we look back at and we see a lot of fashion there and, and we see a lot of glamour there. So I think the pendulum will shift. I think though, what what will come out of this is what does that product look like in terms of the the, the value of that product or how much product do we really need? Mm. So many uh, in, in our industry have looked at what is the like the rewiring or, or the restructuring of our industry, and so some have advocated for for less collections, or less product. Um, we want to kind of talk about sustainability in, in 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 an actionable way now versus just a talk pre pandemic. So I think the type of product and the production of the product and the and, and the amount of the product will will be a focus. I think we want to. I think we'll see more interest in craftsmanship and an investment that is good for the earth and good for the environment.
0: I agree. Well, that kind of goes into what my next question was, was this idea of, you know, with with the climate and global warming, when I I go and look at seasonal collections anymore, it feels so out of sync with with the way things are, like spring, summer, and fall, winter, is that really, you know, for a good portion of the population that almost doesn't exist anymore. And then the same thing, I feel like designers are moving into this idea of direct to consumer or and or drops and collaborations opposed to full collections. I mean, is it is it basically the wild, wild west at this point? I mean, is everybody like doing their own thing or do you think that there'll be fundamentals that will, you know, kind of touch points or yeah. or guiding, you know, focuses yeah, for I everybody? Do-
1: I think there's traditionalists that are doing it the way it's been done. And then there are people who are experimenting. And I think that those who are experimenting are going to drive what what it looks like. Um, I I, I see a lot of brands getting out of spring 2021 or fall 2022, but uh, Philip Lim just launching a new brand, collection one, collection two, collection three, right, numbered collections. And we've seen some... Store some of the big retailers, looking at deliveries that are, are closer to use. Uh, and so I think when there's success in those models, um, other people will, will follow. Uh, and if there's not success, those people will revert back to the way it's been done. But I do think you're, you're, you're looking, you will, will be seeing kind of more seasonless, more of this collection one, collection two not releasing a collection just because you feel like you have to on a schedule but releasing a collection because you have an idea mm-hmm. um, and you have something to say and you have something to sell um i think that I- I- is going to be you know much of what inspires and in- influences creative people um, um moving forward and i think the um this idea about sustainability again is a, a space we've been in over a decade and recently just uh, uh, released a report on fashion week and sustainability and how fashion weeks can be more, more sustainable. Um, so I think this is an in, in, in important in topic uh, as well. And I think we'll see a lot of that kind of influence in, in, in the business moving forward.
0: All right. So I'm going to ask you one kind of wrap up question for this. And then I want to give you my five generic fashion questions that I ask everybody. Um, so, okay. so, so the last question I kind of want to ask in, in relationship to our conversation is, what are you excited about right now? Like, what are you really jazzed about? And, and think and think, oh, this is going to be good. Like, as far as career or whatever comes up when I ask that question.
1: Look, I, I you know, I, I'm excited about the the moment um, that we're uh, well, particularly in, in the United States that we just experienced a new president, um, uh, a new administration, a new approach to um, civility, uh, um, to governing, and. I think we're we're at an exciting time to have have new leadership and how that connects to our industry. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited. I was able to spend some time talking to the Biden campaign um, before the election, just to let them hear from me what are the important issues that that matter to American passion. And I think we have a, a new administration that will be listening to fashion uh, and and understanding the economic impact that fashion has on on the American economy. So I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about how that's going to filter into our industry. I'm also excited to see the systematic change or the commitment to systematic change that our industry is trying to make uh, or committing to make around diversity, equity, and, and inclusion again an area that we have worked for for many years uh, on but have uh, recently based on a board uh, uh, direction have amplified our work and our commitment there so i think we have a very uh, fashion to creative industry but the more diversity that we can build into it the more creativity we're going to have which will ultimately um, build a bigger business because I say this all the time. We can't forget fashion is a business. So at the end of the day, that's the idea of it. So I'm excited about what President Elect Biden and Vice President Elect Kamala Harris and uh, the administration are, are going to be able to, to do in our country. And, and you know, um, I'm happy to see the the commitment that the industry is making to to diversity and, and change there, and, and and to have a role. they so to have a role in that.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I knew that you I know you just nominated you know uh, somebody who's been working at the CFDA a long time to the new um uh, president of the CFDA. I believe that you're working now in tandem with you and she uh yeah Cassandra is, Diggs. Cassandra, Diggs, far,
1: Cassandra
0: Diggs, yeah, Cassandra Diggs. So, but you know, an internal, you know, promotion from within, which I also think is fantastic. And and to have her be another voice with you and Tom, I think that's wonderful. All right. Yeah. So I'm super excited to hear your answers for these five generic fashion questions. So the first one is: What is your favorite piece of clothing that you own?
1: I guess my favorite piece of clothing I own is a navy shirt. <laughs> and everything I wear is pretty much navy. Like the one uh, you're so, wearing, okay, yeah, you know, so a navy shirt.
0: So that's that's you have perfect. There's a sentimentality around a navy shirt, or is it just the practicality of it? It's your black
1: turtleneck. I don't know. It just makes me feel basic, I guess. And I <laughs> I, I, I I learned early on in fashion not to try to be too fashionable. And, and, you know, it, it's in, you probably agree with this, like the more you work in fashion, the less fashionable you are sometimes, right? Because you just got to get that. Uniform, pair down, so, pair
0: down, pair down. You know, yep.
1: No pun intended Navy uniform, but I guess that, that's, that's, that's my my go-to it makes me feel the most confident and, and secure.
0: Okay. There's a lot of people out there who don't have a, a ton of money to spend on their clothing and fashion. But if you were to say, if there's a one item of clothing or accessory or whatever comes up for you that you p- think that people should save up and and spend money on, what would that one piece be?
1: Well, I always say, I'm speaking for men specifically. Uh, I would always say shoes, like a really good pair of shoes, because I think we we often forget that that you know because it's down low, right? The the shoes, so. Uh, I always think, a, you know, a good pair of shoes that are comfortable, but sharp and look good are important. Um, for me personally, it's always been, um, eyewear when I, I started working in CFDA, I used to have glasses that I'd get down on Canal, on Canal street and some kind of like discount store. And one of our CFDA members, Salima Salon, who's a beautiful eyewear um, brand. She's like, you can't wear those anymore. So, uh. <laughs> And and it's interesting because you can really just very easily change out a navy uniform with just a different pair of glasses. So, you know, definitely for shoes, a good pair of shoes. And and for me, it's really about a a, a nice frame, a nice pair of glasses.
0: Okay, next question. And this might be difficult or maybe really easy for you. Who is your favorite fashion designer, living or dead?
1: Well, that's a hard question because I'm the CEO of the Council of Fashion Designers (laughs) of America. And we have 477 members. So, you know, it's like a, you, you never want to pick your favorite um, child. Uh, um, so I, I wouldn't answer it. I will say this, though. I've had the um, really great pleasure to meet so many people. And again, not planning to work in fashion. Who would have ever thought? that uh, I would know Tom Ford or Diane von Furstenberg or Ralph Lauren, uh, just to name some of the big icons and to actually be with them in a personal intimate setting. Um, But on the flip side of that, you know, I have such a great team and and they're always saying you have to meet so-and-so. And And I remember just as an example, like we have see Christopher John Rogers, American designer, having a lot of success. He just won a CFDA award. He won the fashion fund, but I remember meeting Christopher before that, when he just started his company and was still working full time for Diane because someone on my team said, you got to meet this guy. So, you know, I, 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 I'm always excited to kind of be able to say, I know these famous designer, but um, I'm I'm always even, I'm always inspired though by meeting like the next new Christopher John Rogers. I and mean, he's still young and new and, and great. But so I wouldn't pick a name specifically. Though.
0: No, I, I agree with you. I mean, one of the it's it's wonderful to you know rub shoulders with and have those personal relationships like you mentioned with some of the the big players in the industry. But my delight is always to discover those young designers who have yet to be known in the world or or to you know come into okay. their own and to see them blossom and to have been there from the beginning. There's just nothing like that for sure.
1: But here, this, this thinking because I wasn't a fashion kid growing up. But um, I can name one, uh, Willie Smith. He had a brand called Willie Wear, and I grew up in New Jersey. Um, and near where I grew up, there was an outlet store and there was a Willie Wear outlet. and for some reason, I discovered that. So you know my 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 senior year in, in in high school and my my freshman year in college, I was obsessed with that for some reason. so, if I had to name one, I'll go with that because it's really
0: rare. Okay. I'm definitely Googling that as soon as we get yeah, off this yeah, call. Cool. Yeah.
1: Um, I had a, like a cropped uh, sweater. Um, I wore a shirt underneath it, but it was like, it was a favorite of mine for sure.
0: <laughs> I can't ever imagine you in a crop anything, but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to see that photo. Um, <laughs> two more questions. What trend will you never follow?
1: Which trend will I never follow? Um, you have some tough uh, questions here. Which trend will I never follow? I don't think I follow um, trends that much. Um, I would never follow a trend that that is that's going to cost me a lot of money, right? I, I'm I'm just not going to like follow something or buy something that comes that brings you status or or brings you something that that's super expensive. Even if even if I was super rich and could do it i i wouldn't i wouldn't follow that trend um i think um because to me it seems it seems somewhat unnecessary and misdirected in in a way but um so i would say that something that's super expensive that um like even like um if you think about something non-fashion everybody's peloton 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 right those are like 2500 bikes and then you gotta spend uh, a lot of money and and with the winter months coming and not being able to work out outside, I, I wanted a bike, but I went with like the 499 dollar echelon bike, which is <laughs> just as good as the peloton and maybe even better for me uh, but for like a fraction of, of the of, of the prize. So you know I might go in, in the in the, the tram, but I don't want to pay the money for the expensive stuff of it.
0: That's good to know. Very good to know, insightful. All right, last question. What do you love most
1: about fashion? What do I love most about it? The people. I, mean, I think there's such humanity in fashion that is not often recognized. When you, when you look at fashion as pop culture, right? How the general consumer or, or how an audience looks at fashion, there's this preconceived idea of what it is, whether that comes from um, reading a magazine, watching Project Runway, Um, watching um, Emily in Paris, sex in the city, whatever that is, the devil wears Prada, you know, there's this idea of what fashion is and and, and that idea can often be in in people's minds, kind of something superficial, something surfaced, something um, that is, 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 is unkind. Um, But I have found people in fashion to be the kindest and, and, so much like uh, humanity in, in in our industry. Yes, um, it's a competitive industry and and and, and, and that's part of business, but um I'm, I'm I'm just always really uh moved by uh how our industry responds to things, how our industry through CFDA responded to COVID with a common thread relief fund, uh what we did after nine-eleven. Uh, how we raise money for disaster relief in Haiti or from the Sandy storm in New York, you know, the, the, the millions of dollars we've raised for HIV and AIDS organizations and breast cancer organizations. And, and when there is an issue, I know immediately I'm going to get an email or a phone call from a member. members like, what are we doing? Like, what can we do? And so, um, and I've seen that compassion too in, in American fashion. Compassion maybe not the right word, but that support as well in how um, uh, experience is shared and resources are shared. Uh, uh, and, and there's a lot of camaraderie in that. So it's, it's the humanity, it's the people.
0: Steven, this, I know that I do this podcast because I love doing podcasts, but the, what I love most about doing these podcasts is getting to talk to people that I admire so much um, for you know a real chunk of time, as opposed to dashing from one show to the other. And this has just been a delight getting to have this time with you and to, to talk about all this with you. So thank you so much.
1: Well, and it's such a great name for our podcast. So congratulations and thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much. You have a lovely day. All
1: right, right, bye. bye.
0: Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.